host for the Spiritual Prepper's Guide to the End of the World as We Know It. And today I want to ask you a question. Do you like coffee? I'm going to go ahead and guess that you probably do, or you did at some point. Maybe you're on decaf like me these days. Can't do caffeinated anymore. But you and me and like two billion other people on the planet, something like two billion cups per day. So maybe it doesn't even out to two billion separate people because like some people are like six per day. Um, that's like a general estimate I just recently saw. I had my first cup of coffee. I think it was the sixth grade. And I had been smelling it and obsessing over the smell of it in the mornings when my mom would have it, stuff like that, for ages. And I don't know what it is about the smell of it. The smell and the feel of it, of the smell, like when you walk into Starbucks or some other place, and it just, there's nothing like it. We can try to describe it, but it just falls short, right? Nothing like it. Nothing like it emotionally, physically, taste how it makes you feel. Anyway, so I was in the sixth grade and someone had told me that the kids, some of the kids in Europe, I think it was maybe one of my German relatives with German lineage. They were like, yeah, you know, the kids in Europe, they start drinking coffee really early in certain places. And back then I was already like, America's stupid. It's so lame because you're stupid. I'm going to be European instead. And so <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm going to start drinking it. And probably pretty quickly my mom put the kibosh on that. But I did have some cups. And of course the relatives were like, look at the kid. <laughs> she likes coffee. <laughs> and I think I probably tried to drink it black at first, but then I probably started sneaking cream and sugar in there pretty quick. Because even though I was trying to be hardcore, I gotta be honest, I couldn't do the, the straight, straight up. But then after that, it was probably just, you know, addiction at first sight. <laughs> but no, I didn't go far into that. I could have, but my mom was like, mm, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, like I said at this point, it's decaf, but I still love the smell. I still love, there's just a little bit of the same feeling and experience with the decaf. And so recently, like last week, I saw on the same day two very different articles, both about coffee. Like I said, which billions of people are consuming daily. One article was about coffee scarcity and how you know, we as humans are not good about long-term, big picture consequences. We are very in the moment and that's more of a modern human thing. Our cultures and societies have really raised us to be that way. And so when someone says, hey, something might be running out soon, we're like, yeah, whatever, chicken little. Or we'll be like, I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. Or we'll be like, yeah, no, it's not going to happen. I'll be fine. But, just, 
linger on that a little bit and say, yeah, no, maybe not. Because it's very, very possible, maybe even probable that some of our staples that we have come to really rely on and be addicted to are going to be thinning out maybe a lot sooner than people realize or want it to be. And even if it's just, you know, supply diminishing and prices increasing, that's going to put things out of range for a lot of people. And so that's the result of our predicament. A lot of people would point to climate chaos. Others would point to supply chain shenanigans. But all of this is, these are symptoms of our predicament of overshoot and collapse here on planet Earth. So we got that going on, that this coffee affair might be really changing and shifting and maybe even going away sooner than, than many of us would like. And then the other article was about coffee, this thing that so many of us take for granted and don't really think much about more deeply beyond, you know, getting our coffee. It is a potent, potent medicinal plant. And it has been a part of cultures, local people and their cultures since time immemorial. And so we just think of our tasty roasted beans, but it's a plant with a lot of medicinal properties and including spiritual and energetic relationships with the people who have been living with it for many, many hundreds and thousands of years. The leaves, the there's berries. The berries of coffee plant are just this most epic thing. And I really recommend that people as always, go deeper and learn more about it. But this article specifically was from a traditional healer in the Caribbean. And she was talking about how it's been used in a multitude of ways of as medicine in those regions. And it's rare, or it's been rare in the past, like, up until the last several years or so, to find traditional healers offering more in-depth information about the cultural legacy of a medicinal plant that has become a staple around the world for all people, all cultures, and how the original people in their relationship with that plant used it in ways that we probably have never even thought of. But they just, you know, they had a, they have a relationship with it. And so it's very different than what we experience or what we think about when we go to coffee, for example. Another example is chocolate, uh, things like that, even rice. Rice has this epic history in multitude of local cultures. So anyway, first thing that came to my mind when I was reading that was, well, first of all, how amazing that this information is being offered to the general public and how probably most people will never consider their coffee as, as, a, as a, a medicinal being and 
having a relationship with those people. But there's that information being offered to the general public, so that's really cool. For myself, when I think about coffee or chocolate or anything else becoming more scarce, the first thing I want to do is not take it for granted anymore. So if I have access to it and it's convenient, um, I'm going to be aware of that and I'm going to savor <laughs> my experience with coffee and some of these other things a lot more. I'm going to really be more in the moment and tasting it because if it's not going to be there or less so, um, and I have to make choices about what I'm able to buy or not because of increases in price, um, I'm really going to be with that. I'm really going to experience that fully. Soak it up. Soak out the marrow, right, of that. But then another idea came to me of like... I have worked with other parts of the coffee plant as medicine. I made a tincture from the berries. And it's just this plant that we just, um, we, we don't appreciate. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I'm in there more, you know, learning about it and it's medicine. But uh, I see that this, this lack, this scarcity coming up more and more as an invitation. And I'm seeing these invitations in the midst of our predicament of overshoot and collapse. I'm seeing them like hundreds of invitations per week that not just I'm receiving, I'm not special, but most of us, a lot of us, especially in the global north, we're getting these invitations all the time and we're just not aware that they're invitations. So this is what I'm talking about today is reframing actually doesn't even need to be reframed because it can be all the things that it is and at the same time also an invitation. And I've said this before and maybe I'll say it again right here, but collapse overshoot, collapse, contraction, whatever you want to call it, is also among all the other things that it is. Horrible, terrible, suffering, consequences. It's also a ready-made spiritual awakening and path. And what sparks spiritual awakening for most people is usually the combination of a couple of things. One being an existential crisis of life and death, that kind of thing, plus a deep, unfulfilled longing or craving that nothing else in life fully satisfies. And so here we are with this scarcity of coffee and, you know, there's that first invitation of how to be less of a consumer douchebag and learn more about history of a plant and the relationships with that plant and the medicinal properties but I also just want to go even deeper and by that I mean one way I do that is I start looking at alternatives 
What are the alternatives to coffee that are growing around me? And I'm a huge, huge, big fan of my morning brew. So like I said, I use decaf, but I add like 12 or 13 other ingredients to my morning blend. I call it my morning remedies, and I I blend it up in an, in an actual blender. And I've been spending a lot of time, maybe not even really aware that I've been doing this, but like pondering about what I'll do when a lot of that stuff, the other ingredients that I add, isn't available or too expensive. You know, what can I grow on my own? And there's some things that I can. And what can I forage and 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 harvest and prepare on my own? And there really are alternatives. And no, they're not the same and they don't taste the same. But there's a lot of things about those alternatives that are are really similar. And that does mean a lot more work. And convenience and easy access and all of those things that we also take for granted goes out the window. And with convenience and accessibility going out the window, that's also another invitation, (laughs) but that's a separate topic that deserves its own focus. But by wondering about alternatives that I would incorporate in the very possible situation of no more coffee, just that alone, going beyond that, going beyond than just solving my own personal problem of not having my morning yummy remedy, the foraging and the harvesting and the growing and the preparing your own morning brew. I did just write a blog about the Walmart mentality that when people start looking at foraging and growing their own stuff as a way to get off the grid, off the consumer dependency, they're gonna start with the Walmart mentality. That's ingrained, that's there. But it is an opening to go deeper into an authentic spiritual path of wisdom groundedness, and maturity, which I have found in my experience is the only way to experience real healing. And that isn't often offered in the marketplaces where we, where we go looking, where we start looking. And this is the kind of thing that has led me deeper into fulfillment, a level of fulfillment that we go seeking for and we don't usually find in the things that are temporary. So this has all been just the coffee scarcity alone has been an invitation that I've seen as unlearning another opportunity to unlearn and ditch the entitlement and usury mentality that got us here. And relearning and remembering respect 
most of us already have the ability for respecting life and the land. Most of us. I, mean, I don't know about sociopaths or like stuff like that. <laughs> Maybe respect isn't an inherent thing for some people, but most of us are already built to respect life and the land. We just forgot and learned some really bad habits in its place. But then beyond that is, is a deeper relationship that rather than sounding like or looking like a cheesy meme on social media, just regurgitating an idea, but a real lived experience of the plants are me and I am them. And the fulfilling sense of belonging that comes from joining, not controlling or ruling or using the land. And I think that that's not the end point either. I think it goes even deeper than that in a, a path of spiritual awakening that can be sparked if somebody wants to see it that way by collapse and scarcity and loss. It can really be a thing if somebody chooses to see it that way. So I'm wrapping that up for today. That's my deep thoughts about coffee. <laughs> so if you love coffee, this is my, I don't know, love letter to my decaf. And I hope this helps someone in some way. Thanks for listening. Bye.